Preston and Steve Fun Size Podcast. I would say that outside of our studio, the place where we have met the most famous people has been at M. Night Shyamalan's <laughs> Halloween party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's always a star-studded event, and... Uh, we met this gentleman there a few years ago, although I was hammered out of my gourd, which is what you do at that party. Seriously. Because night is pushing the shots on you while you're there. So they it's actually part of the encourage it. Yes, and, and God bless him. But uh, we're excited to have him on this morning. He's calling in from London and uh, is here to talk about a charity organization that is right here in Philadelphia. It's a very, very cool thing. It's called Give and Go Athletics, and we're going to ask more about it. Please welcome James McAvoy. Hey! The program. Hey, James, how you doing, man? I'm doing real good, guys. Thanks for having me on. No, hey, no problem, man. And you, you really have embraced uh, Philadelphia, have you not? Yeah, you know, I, I've I've got such a lot of good friends there. I've had great work there, and I I've got a home there. Uh, I regard it as a second home. My partner is from uh, Delco, and um, and you know we try to get back as much as we can. So no, it's very much a second home for me. You just said Delco. Delco. You said Delco, <laughs> and you made our producer. <laughs> He I'm was, the unofficial mayor of Delco. He was just throwing his fist up in the air. <laughs> it, it was his greatest realization that James McAvoy's a Delco guy. I mean, two days in a row, I was wearing Delco T-shirts. So you know. I've got, I've actually got a really cool little Delco baseball cap which I wear, and people are like, "What's Delco?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's a little place in uh, Pennsylvania, just outside Philly." And they're like. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You keep it enigmatic. We like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but listen, we'll talk a little bit about your, uh, you know, some professional things. But let's talk about uh, Give and Go Athletics. We just, I was just watching uh, you on with uh, with Jimmy Fallon not that long ago uh, talking about this. So this is this is something you really like to spread the word on. Yeah, we uh, we were looking for ways to sort of support the community during such a tough time um, during the lockdown, and um, we're looking to do that in you know different places, but in, definitely in places that we regard as our home, places that are surrounded by people that we love, care about, our families and friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we heard about giving go athletics through a very good friend of ours called Ricky Stubb, who's a director who actually also runs an amazing organisation called Neighbourhood Film that works with homeless people and trains them up in the film business, but. Um, he told us about Give and Go Athletics. Basically, it was run by these guys, uh, Andre and Caleb, two incredible um, men um, that grew up in the same part of North Philly, but on opposite sides of the gang line. So they didn't really meet, um, even though they lived literally streets apart from each other. They both go off to college, become collegiate athletes, um, and they study behavioral health uh, therapy. Um, when they come back to Philly, they meet for the first time and find that they've, you know, they live streets apart. They were on different sides of the gang line, but the, uh, they both studied in the same kind of behavioral therapy and things. When they come back to Philly, they, it's around about the same time that Pennsylvania sort of stopped or North Philly anyway, stopped all, um, extracurricular sporting activities in high schools and lower schools. And, um, and of course that's a, that's a massive problem. It's a massive issue and it leaves uh, a huge gap that needs to be filled by, parents or aunties and uncles or after-school organizations, and they're just not there. So um, in step, Caleb and Andre, these two incredible people, and they provided all these after-school sporting activities and events, but at the same time, they deliver trauma-based therapy, which is massively in need for a lot of the children, not all, but a lot of the children that take part in these events and that go to schools in that particular area of North Philly that that was getting no help 
uh, or no funding for those vital activities that, you know, expand minds, keep you out of the house, maybe keep you out of a dangerous situation at home, all those kind of things. And these guys deliver not just um, sporting uh, therapy and food for the body, but also food for the soul and, and trauma-based therapy as well. They're an incredible bunch of people. And if can I can I plug their website? Please, yes, absolutely. They're an incredible bunch uh, bunch of people. It's not just Caleb and Andrea. It has grown a little bit, um, but it, it does cost money, and we're funding it. We're helping to fund it, not funding it. So we are helping to fund it, but. Anything you can give is fantastic. If you can become a monthly donor, it's even better. But you want to go to givinggoathletics.org, and the first thing you'll see is a thing that says get involved. Uh, and you just hit that, and it shows you how to give a one-off donation or become a monthly donor and all that. And if you can give, fantastic. We realize it's tough times at the moment, so if you can't give, just go and take a look at the thing because they're special, special people, you know. These grassroots programs, these these things are the things that get done. There are so many people who tell you, whether they be politicians or whatever, that they're looking out for you and they want to, you know, blah, blah. And they and it, it never seems to trickle down. This, this is what motivated Knight Shyamalan to start his foundation. Put it in the hands of the people who can really activate and get things done. And I think now because of isolation and... And, and kids not being able to um, socialize and do those, as you said, very important, essential things. This is something that is, is desperately needed. So it, it couldn't come at a better time. No, you're, you're so right. You're so right. And also, you know, those, you know, and not, not every teacher is that special teacher. But when you get those special leaders and those special mentors and those special people that resonate with you, they can change your entire life. Do you know what I mean? And look, Caleb and Andre aren't going to be that person for every kid, but they're going to be that person for a lot of those kids, you know? Yeah, and, and that, that's, that's all part of the deal. I mean, you know, you, Preston talks yeah. about, he, uh, you know, from, from a, a music program in school, a lot of times music yeah. programs are yeah. cut, and, and how essential that is. These, these things, they allow you to start to build those foundational things that turn you into, you know, hopefully happy, well-socialized adults. Yeah. And when you extract that... It has an impact. Yeah, I came from, I came from, I don't know what you guys call it. We call it a uh, council estate. I think you guys call it a project back in Scotland. And it wasn't a particularly great area. Uh, I was, I think I was a good kid, but I didn't really have amazing prospects. But I had two incredible music teachers who went out of their way to provide, out of the kindness of their own heart and their own pockets at times, extracurricular uh, music activity for me and anybody that wanted to come and it changed my life mm. and not just like, I don't play music now I haven't picked up a bass guitar since I was about 18 years old but they opened my eyes they made me realize that it was okay to be myself to not have to conform to some tough uh, sort of council estate born attitude and 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 do all the things that go along with that, do you know what I mean? They taught me that I could be myself, that I could express myself, and that it was okay to be sensitive and artistic. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be an actor, but if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be as well-adjusted as a human being. Yeah. And I feel that Caleb and Andre are filling that gap that is, that is, that is massive and uh, needs to be filled in North Philly. Um, hey, I have a question. You, know, you mentioned, James, uh, you know, music being a, a part of your... Uh, your teenage, your formative years, uh, did that, did you segue, did you drop the music and move to acting in, in like one, one move or did it come a little bit later on? It was pretty much in one move. I was about 16 years old. Mm. I, I had no drama training or acting training, but um, I, 
I somehow managed to get an audition for a movie because a, a director came into our school, gave us a chat on what it was like to be in Macbeth. We were reading Macbeth in English at the time. And um, and he was an actor, so he played Lady Macbeth in an all-male production uh, <laughs> back in the 70s, I think. That's how and, they used um, to do it, yeah. I, yeah, and I basically just... Yeah, and I said to him, uh, listen, that was great. Thank you very much. If you're making another movie, can I come and be your tea boy for like a week? Make, you know, do run coffee and stuff like that. Yeah. And anyway, he called back like five or six months later and, uh, and he actually offered me an audition. I got the part and then from there, I didn't really do much acting after that, but when I was 18 and I was leaving high school, I auditioned for drama school, for acting school, and um, luckily got in. I don't think I picked up a musical instrument for three years after that. (laughs) Because um, acting school was just a little bit, uh, like you go in at eight in the morning and you come out at 10 o'clock at night and you, it's probably the most professional environment I've ever experienced (laughs) in the industry. Um, But uh, yeah, so that was sort of the end of of my musical education uh, at 18. Did uh, did any of your friends, any of your, your tough neighborhood friends, uh, bust your balls a little bit about uh, wanting to delve into to acting? And if so, did they ever come back and say, "I'm sorry about that"? <laughs> no. Do you know what? Do you know what? No, not at all. Nobody ever gave me any <laughs> shit for for wanting to be an actor. That's the weird thing, though. You can sometimes live. Maybe you come from a neighborhood that you think is tough, or maybe you you think people are going to give you a hard time. And yes, by the way, that often can happen. You can get a hard time. Mm-hmm. But I think the fear and the oppression or the inhibition um, that we feel sometimes comes from ourselves as well. You know what I mean? Uh, it may not be. It may be that your neighbor who you thought was going to beat you up because you wanted to be an actor and he, they thought it was silly or something mm-hmm. actually goes, hey, man, that's Cool. Well done, you. You know what I mean. Oh, James. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, the uh, the S bomb and the F bomb we can't say on American radio. Yes. So I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> it's all good. I wish we could. It'd be great. No, but it, but but it, it does. And you, you're you're actually talking about something that is sort of pertains to to uh, to everything that we've been talking about up to now, which is that point in which you realize that there are opportunities for you, and when the the switch is flicked, and you're like, oh my god, this could be something for me. And this is an avenue I had not thought about. You talk about where you came from, where you were, where you were uh, living. It's it's that's dude, I everything. Think, I think. I think. Look, we don't have we don't always have the money to get out of our limited borders. Do you know what I mean? We don't yeah. have we don't always have the money to physically take ourselves beyond our immediate horizons, and that can be limiting. And sometimes the confines of our, of our immediate horizons are terrible and not helpful, not educational and not good for cultivating a good human being, right? But you meet incredible people. You meet incredible mentors, teachers, and this is what education does. It helps you see beyond your physical barriers and it helps you see, all right, I can't get out of this situation right now, but I can see beyond it and I can learn about stuff beyond it. I can project, I can imagine, and I can become a bigger soul even if I can't physically go to a better place or get to a better work environment or anything like that straight away, you know. If without education, we can't move out of our confines. We can't move out of our station on that ladder. And if we don't educate and if we don't nurture and we don't take care of these young people with people like Caleb and Andre, you're stuck. And that means there's no social climbing. There's no social lowering. Do you know what I mean? We just all stay where we are. It's being exposed to things. And Stanley Kubrick always said that if you you could, you know, if you could get a kid and find out what really motivates them and excites them, it's like a nuclear bomb and and sets their life off in, in, you know, in all sorts of different directions. I I, I wonder, 
with you, where was that moment? So you get into acting. Do you have a, a an absolute crystalline moment in mind when you said, this is it? I I'm, love this. I love this. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Not with acting. It was more, it was with music, strangely, um, with these music teachers. It was, um, I remember... I like Friends. I don't even know Friends was on. Was it on at that point? I think it was. Yeah. I like Friends. And Chandler wore waistcoats. And I thought, I want to wear a waistcoat. Like, <laughs> you guys call it like a vest. Wow. You guys call it like a vest. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I remember hanging out in the music department with a different kind of group of friends and these teachers and them all sort of not giving me any... Um, not giving me any hassle or giving me a hard time because I'm wearing a waistcoat. And I thought... <laughs> I can be me here. They also then let us perform and we put on concerts and all that kind of stuff. And that's the moment that I realized I love this. Uh, and for me, whether it's acting or whether it was, it's the same kind of thing. It's about performance. It's about communicating with an audience. All right, it's through, it's through drama and it's through acting instead of music. But it was probably when I was at high school with those amazing music teachers and a group of people that were interested in you experimenting and finding out who you were mm. and not being, not being so afraid to try things out that you just stayed this one little thing right. that everybody tried to conform to and just did what the whole group did and what the gang did. Uh, it was being with that group of people and those two incredible teachers that really made me think, right, this is for me. I want to do something in performance. As, as a father with with teenagers myself, it's, it's so important, and, I, and I'm watching my kids go through this, of finding your community, finding your group, the people that, um, that encourage you uh, and that you're not afraid to be yourself around. Uh, it, it's everything. It's so important. It sets your life on the right course. And like these guys at Give and Go Athletics, you know, you, mm. it may be there. It may be right there. It may be somewhere else. But you've got yeah. to try these things out to find out where they are. Yeah, I think if there's people holding you back, if there's people telling you how you need to be instead of helping you find out what you want to be, then, you know, you've got to try and step away. It's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But um, you've got to try and step away and find those people who let you grow and who want you to grow and help you grow. Yeah. Yeah. James, I, I, because of M. Night Shyamalan, we've all been lucky enough to, to meet you and spend a little bit of time with you. And, and I think we all just walked away uh, genuinely impressed at what a nice and genuinely good person you are. Um, and, Thanks, and and I think also it's, it's a, sometimes shocking to us as lay people to see somebody as successful as you are be as nice as you are. Are you ever surprised at your own success or, or for lack of a better term, fame? Uh, darling, of course not. Um, <laughs> it was meant to be. It was meant to it be. Complete sense to me. It made absolute um, no, uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm very lucky. I came out of acting school. I love my time at acting school, but I came out of there, you know, very, uh, very certain <laughs> you can be very certain or just certain mm-hmm. certain that i would be oh i'd do okay maybe i'd do okay maybe i'd get some theater work here and there but i was going to have to have another thing to fall back on and i thought that was probably going to be teaching um and uh, a friend of mine shauna mcdonald who runs a, a youth theater in edinburgh as well as being a successful actress in her own right um her and i had an idea that we were going to you know maybe start a youth theater somewhere in edinburgh um and then it just started to happen for me. But I was I was not certain it was going to work out for me. I thought I was by no means the star of my my class, the star of my year. Um, and 
but it's just different. It's just the industry needs different. I don't know. It just works out different for different people. A lot of luck, a lot of hard work, a lot of being in the right place at the right time, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's particularly true of this industry, but I think it's true of most industries and most um, walks of life, uh, even if that particular industry isn't as oversubscribed as acting is. Right. But yeah. um, it's about hard work. It is about endeavour. It is about a positive attitude. But it is also just you've got to get lucky. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to be in the right place at the right time and meet the right people and stuff. So I've been exceptionally lucky. I am. I'm now used to it. But there, for years, it felt so strange to me that anybody wanted to know anything about me or watch my movies or the fact that I was in movies, you know. I also just thought, all right, I'll just become one of those actors. I'm happy about this, by the way. If I can pay my bills as an actor, that is... That was my, that was my goal. That was my, my, my deep, most heartfelt desire was... Um, just to be able to pay my bills and own somewhere that I could call my own and feel safe inside through acting. Yeah. Um, so the, the fact that I've gone way beyond that is is... A massive blessing, and um, I really do thank anybody who's ever <laughs> who's assisted. Yeah, I mean, honestly, now you can pay other people's That's bills. Why I'm here. <laughs> uh, uh, James, because of your partner and uh, your um, association with Philadelphia and M Night Shyamalan, I'm wondering if you if you follow Philadelphia sports, if you're now uh, a fan of, let's say, the Eagles, the Flyers, who are in the playoffs right now, Sixers, Phillies, all that stuff. You know what? I have not seen a single sporting event live in Philly. Really? And that is, it is one of, yeah, it's one of my big regrets. And also with COVID at the moment, I've not, and I did a play at the end of last year coming in this year. So I've not actually been to Philly since September, man. Okay. Um, I know, well, I've got, I've got family here. I've got kids here. So I, I, I can't really afford to go back to Philly and then quarantine for two weeks and then right. come back here and then quarantine for two weeks as well. So I basically had to stay here. Um, but I'm desperate, desperate, desperate. I particularly want to go to an Eagles game because I've never been to a game of American football and I find the um, the idea quite exciting. I don't enjoy watching it on TV because there's so many commercials. Yeah. So I think watching it I think watching it live might be pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. But I also quite like ice hockey as well, so I'm, I'm down to come and see the Flyers. Cool. I wanted to ask you about with, with Night Shyamalan and with directors that you work with and, and, and in particular um, Night um, you, you, I think you have to for that performance for for a, a, a split and, and glass for what you had to do for the essentially playing the horde and all the the characters and personalities associated with that. You've got to, I think, got to go out on a sort of an emotional tightrope with that, and you have to feel very comfortable with with the director. Describe your your relationship with Knight. Yeah, no, um, I came in quite late in the day for Split. Um, so it was. It would have been real tough if we didn't click uh, quickly, and we did. We just clicked real quick, just on FaceTime, having rehearsals um, then. And then about a week and a half after I got the part, I was in Philly rehearsing with him face to face. Wow! It came really quickly. I know um, there were a couple of characters that were trickier for us to find. Hedwig was one of the trickiest, strangely. Huh. Um, and. Uh, and I'd say, like, most of the characterization I got just from the script and then bringing my own stuff to it. Um, but with Hedwig, I was finding it quite difficult. And weirdly, Knight just said, give him a lisp. And I was like, eh? I was like, I don't know about this. Is it going to be exploitative of, like, somebody with a speech impediment? I don't know. And uh, But the minute I, I gave Hedwig a lisp, he sort of the whole character fell into place. Um, and then I started to discover all the stuff where he was like, 
because he said he, Kanye's his favourite and all that kind of stuff, I thought, right, okay, he's got to be heavy into hip-hop and he's got to, he's going to be like one of those nine-year-old kids who wants to be like a bad boy 19-year-old kid, you know what I mean? He wants to hang out with the bigger boys yeah. and he thinks he's he thinks he's street, he thinks he's tough, <laughs> but he's absolutely not. I think that was um, that was one of the funnest uh, discoveries that day with Knight. But, um, but yeah, look, he's a great technician. He writes his own material as well, which is the other thing too. Um, I think when a director writes their own material, you've got a main line avenue into their uh, their thought process and what they truly want. Sometimes a director finds it difficult to say to you, this is how I'd like it to be, this is how I'd like it to look, this is how I'd like it to sound. But when the director's actually written it, you're getting into their imagination through a form of art anyway. Like just the, the script itself is a is a form of narrative art yeah and um and so you it's a creative form of art so you're already in touch with their creative process before you're even accepting direction from them or listening to them or trying to decipher what it is they're actually going on about because sometimes they're not he's very good at telling you what he's going on about by the way but it's even better when when they've written the script because you can you can see what they truly wanted even subconsciously sometimes because it's literally down in front of you in black and white uh, James, speaking of Hedwig, which uh, the character was was awesome. There's a there's a scene where he dances. Did you watch videos of kids trying to dance uh, to put that together? Or did you just make that up on the spot? Uh, I can't remember if we made it up on the spot or if we rehearsed it. I can't really remember, but I know we didn't do many takes of it. Oh, okay. Um, I can't remember if we rehearsed it or not. I, if we did rehearse it. It wasn't, it came quick, and if, I think maybe we rehearsed it on camera, okay. or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. and then Knight would look at it and go like, I like that bit, do that bit, or egg that bit up, or that bit's a bit weird, egg that bit down, <laughs> like, um, and then there was a weird spider thing that I did, and if you look really closely, I think you can see that I get shot, and I've got blood coming out of my neck at some point as well, which I was really into. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people <laughs> miss that. How dare they? How dare they miss <laughs> You got all that trouble. Detailed yeah. performance. I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, uh, that was a lot of fun. That bit. No, but I didn't look at it, it, uh, any kids' videos, I don't think. Okay, because you, like, yeah. you looked like a kid who was trying to be a badass <laughs> dancer. It was great. Yeah. Let, Let me ask there you. Was, there was actually, there's actually a really good um, music video by a band called Jungle, which is a sort of oh, yeah. Yeah. electronic London collective. Get busy and, uh, something. Get busy earning. Earning. Busy earning. Is, I don't know if it's busy earning. I think it might be Julia. Busy earning's a different video. Okay. But, uh, which is also a great video, by the way. But I think it's Julia where they've got this little kid in a purple tracksuit who must, I think, is about four or five doing the best breakdancing. <laughs> and um, that actually, that was actually a little bit of inspiration. Okay. Yeah. So, so I have to imagine because obviously you're, you're in the, the Marvel Universe, you've done a lot of genre stuff. Uh, are, are you actively seeking out genre stuff because you're a fan or is the genre stuff finding you? Uh, it's a little bit of both, really. Um, yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, when X-Men came along for me, I... Uh, I hadn't worked in about a year. Um, I just had taken some time out. My kid had just been born. It was filming in London. It was good money, and it was a franchise. Plus, I loved X-Men as a kid, So, it, and also I'm a massive fan of Patrick Stewart, so I was like, this makes total sense. So it came to me, but I was also like tailor-made to love it anyway. Um, it would be the kind of thing I'd be seeking out. So I got very, very lucky with that. And, um, other than that, the the genre stuff that comes to me, yes, I I have an attraction to that stuff. But 
uh, I, you turn a lot down because it's got to be good enough. Do you know what I mean? I can't just do it because I think, hey, vampires are cool. I'm going to do this movie. <laughs> yeah, or, hey, yeah. space is awesome. This movie. Although the, the, the total dweeb in me is like, is mental mad kind of instinctually pushing me to do it. But if the, if the script's not right or if the part's not right, then you can't just launch yourself in there. It's probably, uh, and, yeah. I, and I'm lucky. That's yeah. probably a good way to approach it. Yeah, I think um, I think your portrayal of uh, Charles Xavier is great, especially considering the fact that uh, Patrick Stewart had doing had done it so many times. You you made it your own, and you did your own yeah. thing. And listen, I, I've been known to uh, sidetrack interviews from time to time, so this uh, just doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure it's uh, first class. You use an exclamation that I had never heard before, and I use probably at least on a, we- a weekly basis. Uh, wacky bananas. I had never heard wacky bananas before, and I I say that all the time now. I say wacky bananas. Yeah, in the movie you say wacky bananas. Yeah, it's wacky bananas, man. Yeah. <laughs> in, in what movie? In what I, I'm pretty sure. It, listen, because they're all set like back in the day, but I'm pretty sure it is first class, and I'm pretty sure it's when uh, you're in the bar, uh, uh, you know, macking on some some ladies. Oh yeah. Is that is, is that bananas. is that perhaps on your family crest? Wacky banana. Oh my god! I need to go check that. All right, all right. I'm gonna go check it. All right. All right. So I think you know what? I think I was. I have a vague memory of trying to come up with just weird things that sounded like they were in the sixties that the people might say. But I was coming up with. Um, I was coming up with my own creations. I think I tried to get the term. Baby Sham Nightmare in there, <laughs> but it got cut out as well. And they were, the director was like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, it's something that you used to say in the 60s. Man. And it was just me making it up. You just made it up. It's just nonsense. That's excellent. So of all those movies, all the X-Men movies total, James, my favorite is, is Days of Future Past, um, and uh, you're in that one. Do you have a favorite, even if you're not in it? Is there any X-Men movies uh, where you rank above the others? I love First class for its kitschiness, and it really did try to. I think they tried to reboot a lot of what X Men was doing um, by giving it a different vibe, a different tone. Tried to make it feel more like a spy movie. Tried to make it feel very sort of kitsch, and I think more funny and more comic and more um, just a bit more capery or something like that. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, it's and also, great. yeah, and also it was a buddy movie. Do you know what I mean? It was it was very much as much as it was about everybody. It was really about these two guys uh, forming a friendship, which. I don't think any of the other X-Men movies have sort of, uh, sort of formed themselves around a structure quite like that at that point. Then we went into Days of Future Past, which was actually, I felt like, going back to the more classic kind of X-Men vibe. But in saying that, it's probably my favourite experience of playing Charles, just because I got such a workout as an actor and I got to actually really go some interesting places with... Um, with Charles, give me two seconds. My landline is ringing. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> Take it out. Oh, we, we, we heard you were in an accident. <laughs> like, no, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Um, dude, just um, go ahead. Yeah, so Days of Future Past is probably my, the, the best one for me. I can't get this shit. <laughs> Please turn off. Oh uh, that's God. okay. It happens to the best of us. Uh, I have to just t- tell you before we, we were talking about you earlier this morning. About two weeks ago, I saw The Last King of Scotland, which I hadn't seen Oof. for in a long while. That movie holds up. That is a that is, I think to me that's when you first really ended up on on my radar. Uh, and you and Forrest Whitaker have such a, an amazing chemistry in that movie. Do you have any recollections of that that film? Any memories? 
No, I was high as a kite and I forgot. No, no. Um, <laughs> it was all chemically induced, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was not. Um, yeah, I mean, that was an amazing experience. I think I was 24 or something, and just to get to go to Uganda for three months and and hang out with somebody like him and learn from somebody like him. Not only is he a great actor, but a great actor playing a, a truly demanding, exciting, dynamic, Oscar-winning role, Oscar-winning performance. That was um, that was you know a formative part of my career to be exposed to that and be around that was was exceptional, and then also you know to have to kind of lead the narrative of the film, yeah, um, and have that responsibility on your shoulders as an actor um, was just an amazing amazing learning experience. Mm. But then for the film to actually go on and do well and lots of people see it and all that kind of stuff, it was it was I was really lucky because yeah. I think I played lots of smaller parts up till then in movies and. And um, I played leads in TV, but I'd never really played leads in movies. I'd done like Narnia and all that kind of stuff, which was more sort of uh, character roles. But to play a sort of a sort of Jewish lead um, in a movie like that was was sort of just incredible. And also to get to do it as a young Scottish person playing a Scottish person, because there's just not there's not a hell of a lot of work out there for yeah. uh, Scottish actors if you can't pretend to be from somewhere else. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So wanted to have one of the first things that really sort of got me out there and bas- and make a bit of a splash across the pond in America, but actually being Scottish, and you guys didn't all go, ah, we can't understand the funny sense of that. <laughs> <laughs> and just ignore it. That was, I felt really, really fortunate and, and just, I don't know, I felt good yeah. about that. It's an amazing film. Uh, listen, we do have to wrap things up, James. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna mention once again, and the main reason uh, for the call was to uh, <clears throat> talk about the organization GiveAndGoAthletics.org. Uh, it's right here in Philadelphia. It's helping people in Philadelphia, kids who uh, need some guidance, who need a community, and also those who might need some therapeutic help along the way. So it's a really great program, and I'll hit the, the website again. It's called GiveAndGoAthletics.org. And it's really cool that you're... Uh, you know th- that you're promoting this uh, something right here in, in your second home, so we do appreciate the, that. Yeah, well, thank you very much. But listen, they're also just there if you want a good time playing sport as well. They will do all that stuff, and they can help you out if you're in a tough time. But um, but if you just want to play sports after school, and your school or your community don't provide that, that's also what they're doing too. They are an incredible organization. Go seek them out, guys. One request, if you don't mind, if you could take a picture of you wearing your Delco hat. <laughs> yeah, I'll send you a picture of me and, in my Delco hat. And, or, yeah, absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Then we'll, we'll post it on, on social media. and Because uh, and, and, people, for Casey alone, our producer, that's <laughs> yeah. such a... Cool. I need so to see that on Instagram, like, <laughs> immediately. All right, listen, James, you're the best. Thank you so much, and hopefully we'll see you in Philadelphia sometime soon, okay? All right, you guys. Thanks a million. Take care. Anytime. James McAvoy! Yeah! Wow. Oh, wow. What a, what a, something we already knew. Super nice guy. Super nice guy. And yet again, a better phone connection from (laughs) England. And his cell phone. Yeah. Because it was the landline ringing. What in the F? I know. And by the way, (laughs) dude, he he should, it it was because of when they released the movie, but split by far, far that year, the best performance by any male actor, in my humble opinion. Yeah. And but but they released it at uh, past the window, which I understand why they did that because it was a huge success. Yeah, but he should be an Oscar winner and probably will be one yeah. day. I would imagine. Uh, wow, that was awesome. All right, we got to take a break, so make sure you stay with us. Don't miss any of it. We'll be right back. 
Get the whole Preston and Steve show or the Bizarre Files podcast at PrestonandSteve.com.